Millions of people are going hungry across the UK right now. Food banks are doing everything they can, but they need more help. Join Banquet's mission to tackle food poverty and get food banks across the UK what they need. One simple donation can make a huge difference to a family in poverty. To donate now, just go to www.spectator.co.uk forward slash donate. Hello and welcome to a special end-of-year episode of Americano. It is our Christmas episode. I don't think we'll do another one unless something very dramatic happens in America. And I thought, who better to join us at Christmas than Americano's favourite contributor, Jacob Harbrook, the editor of the National Interest and now, I believe, a senior fellow at the Atlantic Council. Is that right, Jacob? Yes, it is, Freddie. Thank you. Congratulations on the new gig. Thank you. I thought I would start by asking you about this story today, that Donald Trump is releasing some digital NFTs. Are you going to buy one, first of all? Absolutely not. I don't intend to contribute to the Trump family fortune, which seems to have taken a bit of a beating over the years, particularly with the decision in New York to brand the Trump enterprise itself a criminal organization. He does seem a bit late to the NFT game. I'm surprised he hasn't got on it before because even the spectator realized that it was a thing last year. We sold one last year. But I think now the NFT market seems to have gone kaput. I'm afraid you're right, Freddie. You know, it looked like a boom industry. And now it's perhaps not where the crypto is with Samuel Bank Friedman, but still in a parlous state. The bloom is off the rose, as it were. Have you ever owned an NFT or bought an NFT? I have not. I have. Disastrously. But you're a gambler, Freddie. You wrote that brilliant column in The Spectator about how your father, in his efforts to dissuade you from a lifetime of gambling, in fact, fortified your certainty that it's a course you should pursue. Because didn't you win as an eight-year-old betting on a horse that I no did. one else did? I did. I won on a horse called Maroof at 66 to 1. And ever since, I've thought all you need, if you need money, all you need to do is just bet on a horse. I have always admired you before, Freddie, but after I read that, it became boundless. <laughs> well, thank you, Jake. Let's, let's move off my gambling habits and go back to the year 2022, which we did a Spectator TV episode last week. And it's hard to be positive about 2022 because a lot of gloomy stuff has happened. And I think the most important thing to happen for America too, but from a global perspective, is the war in Ukraine. How are Americans feeling about it? Because there's a sort of general sense that Brits are much more behind Ukraine than Americans are. There's a little bit of doubt about whether it's a good idea to be propping up Ukraine in America. Is that a fair assessment? I think it's not quite right. I don't think that the war in Ukraine has hit home in the way that it has in Europe, because America does have an ocean separating it from Europe. Yes. And the support for Ukraine seems to remain pretty strong in communities and towns across America. Just the other night, I saw someone riding a bicycle with a Ukraine flag waving behind it here in DC. There's no question that the elements of the Republican Party and the base in particular have become skeptical about the vast financial outlays that are required to prop up Ukraine. And there was a report in the Washington Post today that the Russian attacks on Ukraine 
could lead to even a five or minus nine percent in the size of the Ukrainian economy next year. And the sums that will be required to keep Ukraine going against Russia are are staggering. Now, Putin is his calculation is he can't win the battle on the direct battlefield, but to sever the relationship between the United States and Ukraine and Europe and Ukraine. I still don't think he's going to be successful because I'm not sure how long Russia itself can hold out in its war efforts. But as you stated in the beginning, I think the Ukraine war was the most significant development of this past year. The invasion on February 24th has had shockwaves around the world. It's revived the issue of the security of Taiwan. It could have cataclysmic effects in the Middle East. If Russia succumbs to its vociferous tendencies and breaks up, then it will not be supporting Iran or Syria. And you would have upheaval in those countries and in Lebanon as well. So we are in uncharted territory. As you know the Washington, D.C. foreign policy establishment pretty well, there has always, within D.C., there has always been this fixation on Ukraine. And cynics, possibly Putinist cynics, say that America has always wanted to encourage a conflict over Ukraine And then sort of dark conspiracy theories abound that it's all to do with your gas exports, that America ultimately wants to use its leverage as a a global energy superpower, and that actually shutting down Russian gas into Europe is the way to do that. What do you say to that sort of talk? If only America were that strategic. (laughs) Well, I mean, I think foreign policy types are quite strategic, aren't they? I mean, the Atlantic Council, for instance, has talked about... Ukraine a lot in the last five years. The Atlantic Council has been a stalwart supporter of Ukraine. And and frankly, I am in that camp as well. Well, you are now, yeah. Right, right. But I always, I mean, if you look initially, if you look at where Russia could have headed under, under the Putin regime and where it's ended up, I think it's a total disaster for Russia and for Ukraine as well, obviously. For the United States, does it have some... No, the United States stumbled into this. Donald Trump was antipathetic to Ukraine. He would have handed it over to Putin on a silver platter in a second term. I think Biden, as a cold warrior, has memories of Russian aggression. And the Biden administration itself, however, was very cautious about aiding Ukraine militarily and assumed at the beginning that the Russians would roll over the country. If you remember, Biden offered to help convey Zelensky to safety at the outside of the war, which Zelensky courageously refused. Mm. I think the onus for this is on Russia. I think Putin has has revealed that he has systematically attempted to expand Russian influence and power in the region. It began with the war in, in Georgia the grab in Crimea, and then you have all the threats against the Baltic states. I truly believe if we had not stepped up to the plate in Ukraine, that Putin would not stop in Ukraine. I think he has this vision. He's alluded to himself as a, as a modern Peter the Great. 
he unfortunately is stuck, mired in the past, is succumbed to the lure of Russian nationalism, which is obviously a potent force in this society, and it has turned into a debacle. To sum it all up, when I look at Russia today, they remind me of the neoconservatives that took America into war against Iraq in wow. 2002. It's the same hypertrophy thinking. We'll win this war quickly in a week, in a couple of days. We'll be greeted with flowers by the locals. All wrong. They are mired in a catastrophic war, even more catastrophic than Iraq was for the United States. Well, so that's very interesting. You, you regard it, Ukraine as Russia's Iraq. General Petraeus famously said when he took over sort of the command of Iraq, he said, how does this end? I wonder, what do you think from an American point of view? What is the ideal ending in Ukraine? It's going to end with the expulsion of Putin from Ukrainian territory. And I suspect that's from the Donbass, from all the territories that he invaded in February. Crimea is going to be the question mark. Will the Ukrainians simply try to starve the Russians out of Crimea? Or will there be some kind of deal that is struck over Crimea? But my instinct is that Putin will not be in power by the end of 2023. I think Russia is headed for a crack up. That is my prediction for the new year. Doesn't that make the whole global situation far more dangerous, though? Because whoever comes after Putin is not going to be a nice, cuddly liberal like a lot of people want it to be. We don't know. There's also, when you talk to the experts, there is suspicion that the Russian empire itself is headed for some form of dissolution. That maybe what we witnessed in 1989 to 1991 was merely the first stage in the collapse of this entity, and that you could have Chechnya and the Caucasus breaking off from Russia to assert their own independence. If you look at the Central Asian states, they are already snubbing the Russians. And one of Putin's great accomplishments prior to the Ukraine war was to greatly expand Russian influence precisely over those territories. That is why this war constitutes a debacle for Russia. If that were to happen and you'd have a sort of Russian crack up, would that mean that China and America then become you know, the key global adversaries in a sort of a bipolar world? Maybe. But I also am sceptical of China, to be honest. I think we could be heading back to unipolarity. The era in the 1990s when the United States was the dominant world power. China is experiencing internal turmoil and there is no evidence that its military could successfully take over Taiwan right now. That would be a very difficult venture. I tend to think that the China threat, while it exists, has been hyped in Washington by cold warriors searching for a foreign enemy. I believe that the United States could be poised to regain the influence and dominance that it has previously enjoyed and that it squandered in Iraq. And maybe this, if it gets a second chance, it won't blow it. Well, let's, let's go back to Joe Biden. I mean, do you regard him already as, it sounds odd to say it to me, but as a great foreign policy president? 
he certainly could end up that way. I mean, his calculations on Ukraine, I think, have been pretty much flawless. I know that there's a contingent in Washington that wants him to have up support for Ukraine much more rapidly. But what he essentially did was to ratchet up slowly so that Putin didn't have a causes belly to deploy nuclear weapons or to, to hit out more harshly right from the outset. So I think, you know, and I also think that Biden has done an excellent job of holding together the Atlantic Alliance. I mean, NATO has been revived. If the Russians had just waited a couple of years, NATO was falling into a severe state of disrepair. I don't think you would have seen this kind of mobilization. So the invasion of Ukraine has inadvertently reunited the West. It has created a West. And that is something that the UK can tap into, too. And the UK has been stalwart in supporting Ukraine. Well, because the the other big thing that Joe Biden has done as a foreign policy president is to withdraw from Afghanistan, which he took a lot of criticism over. Obviously, the withdrawal was botched in many ways, quite embarrassing for America on the world stage. But do you think he's been vindicated there? Because even though Afghanistan is impossibly ruined and is in a terrible state, America was not helping it, never was. And so he just sort of ripped the, the Band-Aid off, as it were. He did. Frankly, I thought at the time that all the storm and drung over the Afghan pullout was hooey. We could not stay there any longer. We were wasting hundreds of millions of dollars. Ashraf Ghani fled at the first instant from the country. There was no such thing as an Afghan government. It was an American satrapy. The second we pulled out, it was sort of like, it, this isn't the right equivalent, but when the Soviet Union pulled out of the Warsaw Pact or, you know, East Germany collapsed overnight. There was no legitimate government in Kabul. And like it or not, and most people didn't, and Biden made that decision against the advice of his advisors. So I think it showed actually courage on his part to finally say enough is enough. The corollary of that is if we were still enmeshed in Afghanistan right now, there is no way that we would be able to support Ukraine as we are doing currently. It's often said Americans don't really care about foreign policy, but do you think Biden, although his job approval numbers aren't great, they've made a bit of a comeback, let's say. Do you think that's because Americans are starting to think that while he himself may not be altogether compass mentis all the time, his administration are doing a good job on the world stage? Yes, he has restored America's standing. I also think the calm he tries to project in contrast to the frenetic pace of the Trump administration has helped. Biden, you know, many of the disparaging remarks that are made about Biden and his age were also made about Ronald Reagan, who was you know, accused of falling asleep in cabinet meetings. He greeted his housing secretary, Samuel Pierce, and said, hello, Mr. Mayor. He didn't know who he was. So I'm quite bullish on Biden. I think he could end up being a second Reagan. If the economy turns around, Reagan went through a recession in his first term early on, much as Biden has done. He then began enjoying success in foreign policy and the economy began to roar. So if Biden has a similar outcome, he could enter the 2024 election in a very strong position. 
I think much as with Reagan, he is being vastly underestimated by his political foes. So do you imagine then that he could be an 86-year-old president at the end of his second term? He certainly could. Or he could serve for two years, step down and allow Harris to become president. That's the only way, in my opinion, that she can ever win an election. I do not believe that she is electable without first having been president. Her personality seems to be somewhat abrasive and she does not inspire the kind of confidence that Biden does. But if she were able to prove herself for two years, or she could turn out to be our our new Liz Truss, who knows? (laughs) You do think that's a realistic possibility that Kamala Harris, uh, say, mid-2026 or something, would be installed? Absolutely. Why not? Well, lots of reasons why not. I mean, first of all, as you say, she is widely despised. I think the American public... It would have to be a case where Biden really was not capable of exercising power. And I think his wife, Jill Biden, would step in at that point and say, "It's this is it. It's over. Let's talk about the midterms. The red wave did not happen. It was a little bit of a red ripple, as everyone said. Nevertheless, Republicans are do have control of the House, but not the Senate. You actually were right about this, Jacob, I have to admit. You were right all along. I think you've always said that the Biden administration is more popular than people realise. And do you feel wonderfully vindicated? I was relieved by the outcome of the election because I didn't want the candidates that Trump had anointed who were election deniers to win. And I think the split outcome actually works pretty well for Biden. The House Republicans are already feuding with each other. And if they're incapable of electing a House speaker, the logical conclusion will be, how can they run the country when they can't run themselves? The Senate will allow Biden to push through a number of judicial appointees. And I think there will have to be some kind of rapprochement between the House and the Senate. If the Republicans go to the hard right, I don't think that it will be good for their electoral fortunes. But for Biden, there's no bad outcome here. He can rail against the Republicans in the House. He has a foe that he can point to for gumming up the works or for why things are going wrong when they do. The foe would be the MAGA Republican. Correct. His ratings seem to do best when he is associated with defending democracy and the American system of government. They falter a little bit or more than a little bit on issues such as the economy, because the economy is not in great shape in the United States right now. So you think that much mocked speech that Joe Biden gave in Pennsylvania, where he has sort of had a sinister backlighting and and had military people behind him, it was a sort of martial speech about the threats to democracy. You think that was shrewd politics? Interestingly, he turned out to be right. He does have Again, and I think here he's underestimated, he does appear to have good political instincts. I mean, everyone wrote him off in the primaries, and then he he won the nomination. He was ridiculed during the campaign against Trump as an old geezer, and then he won again. And now he did score a historic win in these midterms, I mean, especially in the Senate. I don't think any president since 1934 has scored as well as as Biden did and not losing any Democratic seats. It's it's quite impressive. Is it just the case now that if you're not a disaster of a president or a turbulent president like Donald Trump was, 
that you are highly likely to win again because you have the advantages of an incumbency and you're highly likely to be a two-term president, even if, like I would say Joe Biden is, you are quite obviously not entirely on the ball. Well, I'm not convinced that Biden isn't on the ball, Freddie. I, I know we, we disagree about differ. that. Yeah. I think that, yes, the electorate is closely divided so that there, there have always been inherent advantages in being the president. But it would take a recession and a foreign policy calamity to drive Biden out of office in 2024. The instinct for the, the voter is to vote for stability and continuity. And that is where, again, there might be more good news for Biden because Janet Yellen seems to think that inflation is coming down and the American economy, which is you know the greatest economy, most powerful economy in the world still, is beginning to rev up again after the pandemic. That's right. But soon this may become the conventional wisdom and that could become a burden for Biden. Expectations will be higher for him, Freddie. Well, and also, I mean, I think one thing that the Republicans were very banged on about a lot, and actually Donald Trump has said, and I think it's one of his more astute observations, that Americans haven't really felt the pain of inflation yet, even though there's been a lot of it. But the real pain is coming in the next few months, possibly. I mean, it will in Europe, certainly. No, inflation will not be the problem. The problem will be as the Fed continues to hike the interest rates, they just increased them by a half point yesterday. Will this plunge the United States into a severe recession? I hope not. But, you know, people's credit card bills are going up because the interest rates are up. Business borrowing is up. So there will be probably less housing expansion. The real estate market is being crimped. So, you know, Biden's fortunes are, are still up in the air. And it depends also on who the Republicans nominate. If they nominate someone much younger and more vigorous, that could be a nice contrast with Biden. I think the Federal Reserve are, and the Treasury are well aware of it in America. But do you think the risk then in 2023 is that the inflationary spike will be followed by a sharp deflationary downturn, as, as happened after the Spanish flu and the First World War, you'll go from having an inflationary crisis to a very, very deep deflationary crisis. That's, that's the risk, isn't it, which everyone is aware of but might not be able to stop. That would be bad news. But the Fed seems willing to countenance it. I mean, the, the desire to stop inflation is paramount among policy elites in Washington. The Federal Reserve will do whatever it takes to stop the inflationary spiral. Though it does seem to be, I mean, the, infl the numbers were better last month. So it, the Fed policies do seem to be taking hold. And, you know, a lot of the economists seem to be cautiously optimistic that it will not be a hard recession. Do you think uh, our friend and a friend of the magazine, Michael Lind, would agree with that assessment? Or would he think that you actually, the only way inflation is going to realistically come down is to have a much tighter labour market and possibly the menace of mass unemployment? Well, I haven't really talked with Michael about this, so I can't speak for him. He is obviously one of the most brilliant analysts of American politics and history. And I think he would probably be glad. There was a report today, I think in the Washington Post, that there's a, a real short, a labor shortage in the United States. And partly because immigration has been slowing. And he has long argued that the United States needs to 
to curb immigration from a pro-labor perspective that we need to see rising wages in the U.S. But uh, you probably should direct that question to him directly for your next Americano, Freddie. We'll try and get him on. We haven't had him for a while, actually. We should do that. He's a brilliant, brilliant speaker. He is great. And he's been very right about things, actually, over the, over the years. His anal- Interestingly, his analysis of populism and nationalism has turned to be bang on. He was a premature prophet. Yes. Well, let's talk about populism and nationalism in regards to the Republican Party, because next year it will start to become clear whether Donald Trump is finished or whether he will inevitably win the Republican nomination and possibly the presidency in 2024. Do you, I think you're going to say, forgive me if I'm putting words in your mouth, I think you're going to say that you think Trump is running out of political capital. There's certainly a lot more opposition to him in the Republican Party, and the poll number suggests that he is not as popular as DeSantis among Republican voters. He has pulled so many rabbits out of the hat in the past that everyone is reluctant to dismiss him. But certainly the NFT digital episode that you began with is so low rent and consonant with his grifter impulses that there there does seem to be something weird about his campaign. He doesn't seem to have the mojo. Where's the desire to win the presidency? Is he simply taking it for granted that he's going to be anointed by Republican primary voters? Or is he really ready to get in the ring and fight for it? So far, there's zero evidence that he really feels impassioned about this. But the grift element of the Trump organization has has been very clear and obvious to everyone forever. I mean, ever since Trump emerged as a political figure. And yet it didn't stop him. I mean, that's what I've always found very odd about the Trump story is that Americans don't seem to mind the grift. It's very, it speaks to them almost. Well, it is a very American characteristic. I still think it's very peculiar. I mean, he said major announcement coming. People thought he was going to run to be the House Speaker or, or something really big or announced that he had extricated Paul Whelan from Moscow. Instead, these weird, self-indulgent, grandiose images, which only the hardest of the hardcore would find endearing, were released by Trump. So something, I mean, he's always been a strange guy, but he seems behaving more peculiarly now. What are they selling for these NFTs. I think it's $99. I'm not sure if it's for each or for all four. And uh, they show him as he would like to be seen as a macho, virile man instead of a heavily overweight windbag. (laughs) I'm just thinking whether I might, for Christmas, whether I'm going to get you one. I have many Trump trinkets and memorabilia because you might be shocked by this. I do have a significant number of friends who are who are enamored of Trump. But I don't think when you talk to conservatives or people on the right in Washington now and around the country, I don't think that he elicits the kind of support that he did before. It's not new. There's there's no innovation there. I mean, he it was sort of exciting six years ago when he was first running. He came out of nowhere. And everyone dismissed him. Now, his shtick is not new. Do you think then that for the 2024 nomination for the Republican Party, 
everybody talks about DeSantis, but do you think maybe somebody new or different might emerge? And do you have any idea who that might be? I do. I continue to think that the Virginia mayor, Glenn Youngkin, could be the sleeper candidate because he manages to successfully straddle the division between mainstream establishment Republicans and the mega base. He did it in his election and he's continuing to. And his principal focus in Virginia has been on education, an issue on which he's been able to appeal to suburban voters. And he doesn't come across as as much of a fervent culture warrior as Ron DeSantis. I think he's more telegenic. He has a successful record as a businessman. And he managed to turn Virginia, which everyone thought was a blue state, into at least a purple state. But he did it through culture wars, though, didn't he? I mean, the schools thing was a culture war. It was, but he doesn't he doesn't have the edge that DeSantis does. I mean, DeSantis is to the right of Trump on the issue of vaccines. And Youngkin is is much craftier, I think. Well, it will be very, very interesting to see. And Jacob, I do hope you will come on Americano a lot more in 2023. And I hope you and your family have a very happy Christmas. I'd be delighted to. And if you do send me a Trump NFT, a digital trading cards. I've got to now. I? I will only feel even more receptive to your overtures. Thank you very much for listening to that episode of Americano. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe. And if you really enjoyed it, please leave us a star rating, preferably five stars, and a review. 